0: Hello? Christ is risen. He is risen <clears throat> I, I told them in the pre service meeting, I said, I just feel, I, I forget the word I used, but as I was sitting down here today, there's like a, a tranquility. Mm-hmm. And it could be just because it's freezing up here and it's unusually cool and rainy outside for August. Mm-hmm. Uh, But, man, I just, I sense that today there has been a little bit of a theme and that this message is going to tie right into the theme with the theme landing in a place of letting go. Mm -hmm. That so often, and I I have other things to say before I get into preaching, but I'm just going to preach for a second and then take a caveat and then come back to preaching if that's okay. But so often, I think as good, responsible Americans We can take the gospel and hear it in such a way that it is God has done these things so that now you go and do all of these other things. And there's a real danger. That's a slippery slope that we are called to be responsible. And of course, we are called to do so many things. And here's the key, in partnership with what God is already doing. And our message today is going to be about how we discern and how we step into that space of doing what we are called to do, but doing it with open hands and doing it with open hearts that are unencumbered and unentangled, disentangled with the systems and the pressures that the world is always pushing on us to do more, to be more, to get more. So that's where we're gonna go in just a second. My name is Jonathan Swindle. For those of you who don't know, I'm one of the pastors here, and our senior pastors, Jade and Christy Duncan, were on vacation. They actually returned safely this week from vacation, but then had to immediately set out to do one of the more sacred duties of a pastor, which is marrying our own David Chin. Yeah. David is one of the longest standing members of this church, and he and his fiance, Joni, just for a few more hours, she is fiance, Joni, are getting married this afternoon in Southern California, so we bless the Duncans, and we bless David and Joni, and we bless a good chunk of New Life Midtowners that made their way to Southern California to suffer for Jesus (laughs) and attend a wedding they're near the beach, so we bless them and we pray God's peace be with them today. Uh, there is a theme in Scripture that is perhaps the thread that from beginning to end is the most prevalent, and it is this theme of living by faith and trusting God. And here's the kicker, as if that's not enough, there is this command That is one of the most prevalent commands in all of scripture, and that is also, oh by the way, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So let's get this straight right from the beginning. We are called to follow a God we cannot see, to places that we don't know where we will end up, to do things that we don't know we're going to be asked to do, and to lean on him for everything. And oh, by the way, do it untethered and do it unafraid. Mm -hmm. Y'all, this is a really hard thing that we're called to do. Mm -hmm. To be Christians is not an easy thing in the world. I told Monty the passage that I was going to be preaching from this morning and the topic, and she said, oh, great, I hate that. (laughs) She said, well, just to give you the benefit of a doubt, maybe I'll be open to you teaching it in such a way that I won't hate it when I leave. So I had to preach my sermon to her on our date night on Friday night just to get her to not hate God's word, y'all. This is serious stuff we're talking about here. So today, I want to talk about how can we learn to live life By faith, what does that actually mean? And why should we trust God when it seems that God's promises are not coming to pass in our life? How many people in the room, let's be honest, unlike Lauren, I'm going to make you raise your hands, y'all. How many of you have ever wrestled with life is not going the way I thought it was? God, what are you doing or what are you not doing? How many of us have wrestled? Thank God I'm not just preaching to myself today. I will tell you, this, this message has messed with me in an unusual way. I, just like any true man in the place, have the ability most of the time to cerebrally enter into something and study and read and design a message. And then most of the time, I try through prayer to open myself up and say, Lord, like I don't want this to just be a sterile message. This week, I was not able to do that. This week, right from the get-go, it was straight here. Because talking about living by faith unafraid is, frankly, it's just not easy. And so, especially when it doesn't seem like things are going your way. Now, at this point in life, I'm not wrestling through that. But I have a few years ago wrestled through that deeply. And I know that some of you in the place are are right in the place right now. You're in the middle of looking at God and asking these kinds of questions. Why are your promises not seeming to come to pass? Why is life so difficult? Why is following you seem to always lead to places that are more difficult than the places that I just left? So if you're ready to hear what I promise will be a hopeful message... Turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're not going to read the whole thing, but that would be my challenge to you this week, is to read the whole thing. And if you can make it through the end of Hebrews 11 to read the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12, I promise you will hear the gospel, and you will be encouraged. But for now, we're just going to read the first three verses. I'm going to talk and give some commentary. And then we're going to read a chunk from verses 8 to 16 from the life of Abraham, and we're going to talk about how to follow God. So verses 1 through 3, here we go. Oh, actually, before we do, let me just set up with a brief context here. So Hebrews, unlike most of the other epistles, is actually a recorded sermon. So if you've ever thought our sermons were long, try and read the book of Hebrews <laughs> straight through. It's a beautiful book, but it is a heck of a long sermon, okay? Okay. And it's a sermon preached to a group of people, and we don't know who wrote it, we don't know exactly when it was preached, but from the context of the content, we know that what the author of Hebrews is trying to do is to encourage a people who are disappointed because they're facing persecution that they didn't think they would face, because Jesus has not yet returned when they thought he would have. So there are these people who thought, yeah, Jesus is, he's ascended, he's going to come back like in a couple years, and here they are, anywhere from 30 to 60 years after the ascension of Christ, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting, going, how long do we got to do this? Because things in the land keep getting worse. It's getting harder and harder to follow Jesus, and now we're facing persecution like real persecution, like death persecution. So the author of the book of Hebrews is writing this message. It's a sermon that was, of course, then recorded as a letter to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith so that they can persevere and not give up. And the answer to every question in the book of Hebrews is, does anyone know what it is? It's Jesus. From Hebrews 1 all the way through to the end, the message of the book of Hebrews is don't give up because Jesus is better. Jesus is better then whatever it is that you would be giving up this life of following God for, Jesus is better. So with that context, let's jump in. First three verses, Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. How many of you have heard this a thousand times? Yes. This is what the ancients were commended for. Then there is this interesting turn. By faith, We understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. All right, let's pause. So that first verse is what most of us who grew up in church heard as the definition of faith. Now, of course, the author of Hebrews is not saying everything that could be said of faith. Paul has plenty to say about faith in Romans and Galatians and other places, But for today, we're looking at this and we're reading what the author of Hebrews tells us faith is all about. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's how I memorize this. The assurance of things unseen. And as I've already mentioned, this is one of the things that makes Christianity and the Jewish faith that preceded Christianity such a unique faith that there are these group, this massive group, these groups of people that follow a God they cannot see, claiming to do things that they're hearing he said, and they're basing their whole lives off of it. It's a really interesting, difficult thing if you weren't raised in the Christian faith. I mean, think about it. We're governing our whole lives, basing our whole lives off of decision. We're making decisions based off of things that a God that we can't see said to do. And to make it even deeper, we're following people who wrote letters that we don't have any actual original copies of to base our whole lives on. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's not shy away from the difficulty of what it really is to live a life of faith. We do ourselves and the people that we try and introduce to Jesus a disservice if we sugarcoat what faith actually is, if we water down what faith actually is. And before we get into a few different definitions of faith, I want to talk about two really harmful misunderstandings and misappropriations for faith. The first is our intense conviction. We tend to think of faith as the intensity of our beliefs how strongly we believe something to be true. So we will hear this a lot when people say, coincidentally, that they have, quote-unquote, lost their faith. What they tend to mean by that is that they no longer believe the things that they used to believe as strongly as they used to believe them. The problem with this, you're probably already picking up on it, is that it's entirely based off of us. That our faith is entirely based off of us. And I don't know about you, but my emotions are quite fickle. And depending on which day of the week it is, which, let's see, tomorrow's Monday morning, the day after I'm preaching. Tomorrow morning might not be a good day to judge my faith. After, After preaching and expending this energy, Monday mornings are really difficult oftentimes. And that's the problem with faith being equated with the intensity of our convictions. And oftentimes, that's the way we speak about faith. The second is even more subtly dangerous, I think. We speak about faith as the key that we use to lay hold of God's promises or to activate God's words on our behalf. We talk about faith as the key, as the way of unlocking or appropriating God's promises on our behalf. So God has said and done these things, and for them to be true for my life, I have to have this measure of faith that unlocks the key, or it unlocks the lock of God's promises to then appropriate them in my life. The problem with that, of course, is if things aren't going well in your life, then what is assumed to be the problem? You don't have enough faith, or you're not wielding it properly. These are dangerous, subtle things that we have picked up along the way that are slight distortions of the truth, but we know, as good Christians, that the truth is meant to set us free. And that when we believe rightly, and when we trust in God rightly, and when we walk with God rightly, it certainly will not be easy, but it will set us free. So I think that there is a key here in verse 3. So we stopped right, or we read verse 3, and I said that there was a turn. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible, The author uses this example to ensure that we don't get the wrong idea. Who was not present at the creation of all things? Anyone. (laughs) The answer is anyone but God. The author, I think, is starting here to ensure that we don't fall into the trap of that second misunderstanding I talked about. That God did it from beginning to end on his own. He started it by speaking and he completed it by speaking and resting. And by faith, we come into that understanding. The author of Hebrews starts this whole passage about faith with this place wanting us to ensure that we don't buy into the lie that faith is the key that activates God's work on our behalf, God's promises on our behalf. Faith is not how we make things happen, but how we come to see what's already happening in the life of God. I'll say that again. Faith is not how we make things happen, but how we come to see what's really happening within the life of God. This is one of the ways where I think Jesus constantly is saying, be like the little children. And for those of you that have little children or grandchildren or work next door in children's ministry, you can get a kid to believe anything. And I have two toddlers, and I tell them things all the time, and they're like, no, but all I have to do is say it a second time, and they believe me, no matter what it is. You say it a second time, oh, yeah, daddy said, I'm serious, wow. And of course, when Jesus is calling us to be like children, there are more things to it than just this. But being like little children is not less than having an imagination that is opened up to the God of the impossible. That we serve a God who brings life out of death, who brings beauty out of ashes. What are ashes? Ashes are the thing from which all resource has been exhausted, Ashes is what's left when everything else is used up. And God can bring beauty from that. We serve the God of the impossible, the God who brings life from death, not by skirting it or bypassing it. And, church, this is where the gospel is this morning. So, I want you first to hear this that your faith is not broken or incomplete if you're not experiencing what you perceive to be the promises of God for your life. That your faith is not broken or incomplete if life isn't going how you think it should be going. So many of us can end up living under this umbrella of a burden. Feeling like things are going wrong and and of course there, there are ways in which we participate in the downfall of our own lives. But For most of us in the place, I think that our hearts are postured toward the Lord, that we are as tender as we know how to be, that we're as open as we know how to be, and the Lord is drawing us into deeper levels of being open and being tender and greater levels of healing, and it's really difficult to not feel like when things are going bad, it's because I've made them wrong, (coughs) And I want you to hear, if nothing else today, that if life is not going how you perceive that it should be going for you, it does not mean that your faith is broken or incomplete. And faith also cannot, it must not be a means of us getting what we want from God. That faith is anything but something that we wield to control the outcomes of our life. Matter of fact, faith is the exact opposite. So the first definition, I'm going to give you three different definitions that are all differing angles. Mm -hmm. Faith is our coming awake and being brought into God's acting. Mm -hmm. So what does he mean here in this verse 3? That by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Adam and Eve weren't even present. None of us were present. By faith, it is, faith is the opening of our spiritual eyes to see who God really is and what he's always been doing. Amen. Faith is the eyes of our heart. Paul Balosh wrote the beautiful song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Another way of saying that is, God, give us greater faith. Mm-hmm. Give us greater faith to see what you're already doing, to see your character, to see you for who you truly are give us eyes to see. God, what God is doing precedes us. It is bigger than us and will ultimately be far better than we could have ever expected or imagined. This is the hope of the message this morning. So what do we make of this verse 1? The confidence, the substance word, the confidence in what we hope for substance. That word is a really unique Greek word. And you all know that I don't normally bring in this kind of nerdiness into the message. But there is something here that I really want you to see. There is a Greek word called hypostasis or hypostasis. And that's the word that is used to identify Jesus as the essence, the substantive being of God present in human form. That is the same word that is used here, substance. That faith is not just an anticipation of something to come, but it is actually meaningfully substantive in and of itself. That when our eyes are open to who God really is, that that is something substantive in our lives. And it starts to open up possibilities for how we can participate with God in the here and now that actually it means we already possess what God has promised for the future, but we won't experience the fullness of it until the end. Number two definition here, faith trusts that God is acting now in ways that are real, but the fullness of his promises will not be experienced until God has done all that God can do. Let's leave that up there for a minute, Everett. Until God has done all that God can do. So here, once again, is one of the beautiful tensions of the Christian life. That we're not just looking ahead and waiting on God to do something that he hasn't done yet. That God is doing meaningful things right now, all around us. And when we ask for eyes of faith, when we ask for the substance of faith in our lives, we're saying, God, open us up to see what you're doing all around us, all the time. And we're going to unpack this in just a minute when we read verses 8 through 16. But there is also another dimension to this where we have to come to terms and realize that the fullness of what God has promised us in scripture will not come to pass until the end when God has finally acted, when God has done all that God can do. Because we sing and we say and we believe that God is still working. God is still working, and that is absolutely true. And we will experience the fullness of God's promises, but not until God has done all that God can do. I mean, I want you to think about this. This, this might be discouraging for just a moment, but I promise it's going to end really well. That even in Scripture, oftentimes, even when people receive the promise of God, it doesn't come as this blissful, Easy thing that oftentimes when God fulfills a measure of promise in someone's life in Scripture, it comes with new difficulties, new temptations, and new problems. I'll give you three quick examples. The first is the, the children of Israel. When they go, when when Joshua and Caleb are the two of the ten spies, and they come back and they say, Yeah, there's lots of giants. Yeah, there are all these really difficult, terrible things. But God, well, God says, okay, we're going to go in. And they were right. There are all these giants. There are all these battles they have to fight. There are all these territories that they have to go in and claim that even when God gives them the promised land, it's not like I just give you $5,000 and now you have $5,000. They still have to go in and take the land. Mm -hmm. They still have new battles to fight. There are problems that they now have. They didn't have wandering in the wilderness. Another example is, think about in in the book of Acts, there is the story where the girl has the the gift of seeing the future. She has the gift of prophecy. But people are enslaving her, prostituting that gift for the, the, the darkness, for the enemy. And Peter gets frustrated. And Peter casts the spirit out of her, and we go, well, wow, she's free. You know what? She also now has just lost the very thing that brought her value in the eyes of society. It doesn't mean we shouldn't want her to be free. It doesn't mean that you and I shouldn't still pray for the promises of God, shouldn't still pray for healing, shouldn't still pray for provision. We absolutely should, but we need to do it in a way that's not naive, thinking that if it's God, it's going to be blissful. That's not how things work in this life. God will respond to our prayers, and God will oftentimes respond to our prayers in ways and in places where we're not looking, where we think he hasn't responded, but he actually has. So let's go on and read verses 8 through 16. This is the story where the author of Hebrews is recounting what has happened to Abraham and how Abraham was faithful. So verse 8 by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. who lived He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, note this, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was considered him, or um, because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he is good as dead I love that phrase, that is hilarious to me came descendants as (laughs) numerous as the stars. Basically, the author of Hebrews is saying this one man, who was essentially worthless, God brought something even from him came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You may have caught the reason that Bonnie responded the way she did, half-jokingly. She said, well, yeah, I don't like that passage. They all died before they saw the promises come to pass. And so many of us, end up viewing the promises of God in this single dimension of they either happen or they don't. And what I want to propose to you this morning is that God's promises are multidimensional, and they don't just happen, they unfold. That God's promises unfold before us like a sheet or a blanket that is this size then is unfolded and unfolded and there's layer after layer and it keeps expanding and expanding and expanding until finally at the end of all things when Christ returns, the fullness of God's promises will be outwardly visible for all to see. Abraham left his homeland with nothing but faith and an invitation. It's ironic that there are certain circles of Christianity that have used faith as a means to control outcomes when, when Abraham, the quote-unquote father of our faith, did exactly the opposite, that Abraham left his place of comfort, he was a man of prominence, that Abraham left everything behind and entrusted it all to the only one who could actually make his deepest desires come true that Abraham completely lived like this. Now, he didn't do it perfectly. If you read his story carefully, he made a lot of mistakes, and that's good news for you and I, that the father of our faith actually was unfaithful quite a few times. But in the end, his hands were postured like this, open to the only one, God, Yahweh, who could make the deepest desires of his heart come to fruition. The tension here is that Abraham obeys by setting out into a future that he cannot make happen for himself. This is how Abraham exhibits faith. He entrusts his life and his future to God's hands, and that is enough. Third definition of faith. Faith is the letting go of our grasp that attempts to control outcomes. The acknowledgement that only God can bring about his promises. That there is no way that you and I can wield faith as a weapon or a key or a force or a power to make things happen on our behalf or on the behalf of anyone else. That faith is not a tool that we use to make God be better than he would have been without our faith. That is not possible, by the way that nothing good or bad can make God any better than he was for all eternity past or all eternity future. That faith is the gift of God that opens us up to see that in greater measure. But there is a turn. This is where we become hopeful. There is a turn in verse 9. Let's read verse 9 once again together. By faith he made his home in the promised land, did you catch that when we read it the first time? Mm-hmm. He made his home in the Promised Land. Where is it? My, I, I might need a bigger Bible here. <laughs> I turned 35 this summer. That was a problem. <clears throat> here we go. Found it. Verse nine. He made his faith, or he made his home in the Promised Land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. This is the key. Abraham lived in the promised land without knowing he was in the promised land. He made his home in the promised land. And the next verse says, as he longed and looked for the city whose builder and architect with God. And I think as we turn toward the close of this message, that this is exactly the model that you and I are to learn to live by, to desire to learn to live by, where we are looking for what only God can do. We are longing for the kingdom of God to come amongst us, the kingdom that only God can build while making our home in the promised land, not realizing we're in the promised land. Isn't that beautiful? Think about this. It will be more than 400 years before this land that Abraham is living in tents in will be acknowledged as the capital P, capital L promised land with Joshua and Caleb, more than four hundred years until that happens. But Abraham is already living in the land and he doesn't know it. Wow. Then it will be almost a hundred years after they enter the promised land, until the land they're fully established in the land, until all the giants are taken down, destroyed, until they've settled down and built their cities and populated the land. And then it will be almost a thousand years later until another dimension of God's promise unfolds when Jesus comes and is crucified and resurrected as not just the king of the Jews, but the Lord of all people. You remember the original promise given to Abraham? that I'm establishing a people, the Lord says, that will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So now we have three measures of this promise that have already unfolded. Abraham's living in the promised land, he doesn't realize it. Then the land is actually given to the people of Israel, another measure of the promise unfolding before them. Then Jesus comes. The measure of the kingdom is now come. Jesus is resurrected, not as just the king of the Jews, but the Lord of all another dimension of this promise and then of course 2,000 years later you and I still sit here and we await the final dimension of that promise to unfold when the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in with Jesus Christ and the promised land will be the whole land and sickness and death and grief and mourning and weariness and anxiety and toiling all of it will be gone it'll be a thing of the past so, I want you to see how the promise of God isn't something that either just happens or doesn't happen, but that the promises of God are at work all around us all the time. And faith is the way in which we come to see that, so that we can live into it and partner and see that while we long for the kingdom and the city that only God can build we're actually already living in the promised land before it's given to us fully as the promised land. Amen? So faith acknowledges that God is, number one, not done working, but also, number two, that we certainly are not yet perceiving all that God is doing around us. God's promises don't simply happen, they unfold. So, in closing, how do we live faithfully in the meantime? What do we do from this place? And how do we do it while looking for the city that God is building? How do we, like Abraham, make our home in the promised land as a stranger while keeping our eyes on the Lord? I could tell you one wrong answer is how my people, the earliest Pentecostals, perceived this. And that was this land is not my home, nothing we do here matters. It's all going to go to hell in a handbasket. We're just longing for the future. That is not the right way to live. The other wrong way to live is to assume that God has done all that God is going to do, and he's now given us the tools to build his kingdom. Um, I have something hard to tell you guys this morning. That's another message, but I'm going to say it anyways. You and I do not build the kingdom of God. God alone builds his kingdom. And he draws us into what, we, what he is doing to the degree that our faith has eyes to see what he's actually doing. So these are two wrong ways to live. None of it matters. We're just waiting on the future. We're just longing for the city that God is going to bring one day in the future. And then the other is God has done all that he's going to do. And he's given us all the faith and all the tools that we need. Now go make it happen. We're called to live in the land as the message was given to the prophet Jeremiah. Go, tear down and then build up. Mary, plant seeds. Plant seeds for trees. And Jeremiah's going, Trees? God, we ain't got that much time. And God's going, Surprise, surprise. (laughs) You're going to be here a while. So we need to learn to live as if we're going to be here a while. But our eyes are always on the kingdom that God alone is building. So how do we live in this land? I'm going to read a few verses from Luke chapter 12. Hebrews 11 was the epistle reading in the lectionary in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 34. I wasn't going to say anything about this, but a friend of mine posted something yesterday that I just have not been able to shake about this passage And I'm not sure that I'm even spiritually or emotionally ready to to say what I'm about to say, but I believe it, and I'm convicted by it. So I'm going to say it, if for nothing else, to hold myself accountable in your presence. Amen? (laughs) Luke chapter 12, 32 to 34, do not be afraid, this is Jesus speaking, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Seth, if you would come and communion attendants, get ready. This will just be two or three minutes. You might be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with living by faith? Well, actually, it has everything to do with Mm -hmm. living by faith. Jesus says, my father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth cannot destroy and where thieves cannot steal. Now, I have always heard this as something like a cosmic divine layaway plan. (laughs) Something like this. Make sacrifices now so that when you get to heaven, meaning when you die and are with Jesus, he will have a reward for you. And I think that there is a measure of truth in that. But I think the greater truth that Jesus is trying to communicate is actually something more like this. God has given you the kingdom. And it cannot be seized, it cannot be earned, and it cannot be taken. It is received in the giving of it away. That we learn to receive the kingdom as we sell and give and hold and live with open hands because it's in that space where the pressures of the world to accumulate, to climb up and higher and everything in life be up and to the right. I had to do it this way. This is up and to the left for me, but it's up to the right for you. The pressures of the world are more and bigger and better and accumulate more and save for tomorrow. And those things are not all inherently wrong. But the kingdom of God does not come in the way of the world. The kingdom of God comes in the giving of things away. That we actually learn to receive the kingdom of God when we live with open hands. So what is this verse about have purses that cannot be stolen. What what does that mean? I think it means that when you're living your whole life like this, ready to give everything away, then nothing can be stolen from you because you're ready to give it anyways. And this is the way that we learn to live by faith, to learn to live like Abraham. God, I know that life is easier here in the land of Ur. I know where things are secure and I already have a booming business and my reputation is solid and everybody knows me here. It's easier to stay in this land, but I recognize you're calling me out. You're calling me to the place where I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't actually even know where this promised land is, where one day you're gonna say, stop. Matter of fact, I might be living in it right now and not even know it, but God, I'm going to choose to live my life with open hands because we are the kind of people who have learned that that's how the kingdom of God comes. And the treasure being where our heart is is not something for a faraway time in the future. It's when we can learn to live with our hands like this, we actually receive the deepest treasures of peace, generosity, the presence of God. Learning to live in ways that the world is freaked out by. But we're comfortable there. We're unafraid because we know that's the place that God meets us. Stand with me. God has given us the kingdom and God is still giving us the kingdom. And we cannot receive it by working more, by gaining more power or accumulating more resources. Those things are not inherently wrong. But the more of those things that we have, the more difficult it is to disentangle our heart from the pressures of the world, the pressures of greed, the pressures of wanting to always have enough. Once again, it's not wrong to think about those things. It's not wrong to have resources, but just recognize that the having of resources puts us in a position to immediately come against the pressures of the world that are opposite of living unafraid before God and living with our hands like this. There are people in this place who have plenty and there are people in this place who have very little. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ came and lived as the perfect Abraham, leaving his home, coming to a land that was unfamiliar. Facing all of the hardships that you and I face, Jesus completed his mission perfectly faithfully so that you and I can live his faith. That you and I don't have a measure that we have to accomplish this in order to be able to live unafraid before God. Jesus has done it. And he offers it to you and I come and live my life live from my place from my grace, from my mercy and when we discern and learn how to live from the place of God within us we learn to live before God and before the world unafraid so my faith is the the degree to which I am open and I am ready to see and receive the faithfulness of God which is already at work all around me, and it comes in the letting go, not in the grasping. Lord, as we prepare to come before you at your table, we pray that any area of our life, whether it be with physical resources, with our health, with relationships, with the future of our career, with the future of this church, with the future of a family member, a son or a daughter, a mom or a dad. Wherever there is anxiety and the urgency to want to clench, to hold on, to try harder, to do more in an attempt to seize control rather than relinquish control, we're asking Holy Spirit that you would touch that space within us. Would you slowly and gently as you always do open that space before you that it might be touched by you we can learn to live fully trusting full of faith and unafraid people of God this is the table of the Lord and we believe that when we come to this table that the Holy Spirit is at work in a unique way allowing us to encounter Jesus Christ the living God we also remember his finished work on our behalf that we don't have to earn anything that it has been done on our behalf that our sins are forgiven and that we have been given the life of god from which we can live and we also when we come forward we long for the day we remember that the fullness the full unfolding of god's promises are yet ahead of us and this reminds us of all three of those dimensions So we say, come Holy Spirit, be present in the bread and in the cup, and touch our hearts and our lives in a unique way this morning. Come to the table of the Lord. If you would exit out the left side of your row, come forward and receive the elements, and we will go back to our rows and partake of the elements together. Come. I'm communion attendants, and I know know that you guys are still receiving, but our communion attendants at the end of service will stay in position, and they're here to pray with you and allow you to borrow their faith to help you see the places that God is at work in your life so that you can also come to see and partner with the places he's already working. So they would love to pray with you. There are four stations of communion attendance for anything seemingly large or small. Come after service if there's anything they can pray with you. Also, Steve and Silvana are going to be moving uh, to California. This is their last Sunday. So at the conclusion of service, I'm going to ask them to come right up here. And any of their friends or anyone who would like to pray for them, please come. And immediately at the end of service, we'll lay hands on them and bless them as they move. Hebrews chapter 12, we skipped a lot of verses to get to this point right here, but I want to read two verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Hear that in a new way today. Jesus has completed the pathway of our faith so that then all we have to do is borrow his completion. We don't have to pioneer a new way. All we have to do is be there when the promises unfold. That is our calling. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, the bread in our hands. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us receive the body of Christ. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us receive the blood of Christ shed for the remission of sins. Amen. Thanks be to God for these good gifts. Well, let us sing the doxology and be reminded that everything that comes into our hands is a gift from God. Praise
1: God from who? blessings flow pray
0: today. Go in the peace of Christ, full of the power of the Spirit, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes of faith to see the places where you are already working in our lives and the people's lives around us. Go in the peace of the Lord. You are dismissed.